Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, and you're listening to the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm here with returning champion co-host, Rick Habib. Rick, round of applause. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing, man? What's up, man? Good to be back. Yeah, the, listen, I, I, I'm I, not breaking out the height chart tonight because we got none other than Hudson Barth on deck, uh, <laughs> the most recent reeker. Um, our new drummer welcomed him into Reeking Aura. Um, alumni from Trog. Hudson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you, man. Um, some fresh blood in the studio. Uh, don't worry, we're not Morpheus Descends. It's not going to get weird. <laughs> Listen, um, no, we're not, it's a vampire joke. Uh, so, Hudson, you know, I told Rick behind the scenes, we're, we're going to lay off the, the, the beef jerky for a minute. We want to get a little bit into your um uh background the listeners don't know who's this mysterious guy are you the undertaker coming i don't know um but but before we before we get all deep and get into it like that we all just we recently had an adventure um and it was a very hot pause adventure it was literally a heat it was a record-breaking heat wave so we decided what better than to play shows in non-air-conditioned situations down south yeah it was yeah. a great time yeah, two of the uh, as you know, two of the uh, what nine venues were not air conditioned. Well, um, one of one of those was in New Jersey. <laughs> Though, yeah, let's be real, not not showing out well for the home for the hometown. And, uh, uh, there was like there was a power surge in New Jersey, so I, I cut them some slack. That's a that's a very awesome, uh, well run club out there at Dingbats, and they were um, you know having a hard time for a few days there without without AC. The place we played in North Carolina, though, I mean, no AC in that in that building. I, Remember when we pulled up to that building? We, it was like children of the corn. I'm going to take my Home Depot credit card and buy a few box fans for the kids down there. Just doing it for the scene. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, I, I, if, if I was going to die of... Uh, um, if I was going to get a heat rash where I hold the microphone, it was going to be that night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rick, you almost had... Uh, a, a power converter mishap of your own, or something happened down there in Virginia, oh, man. That was that was what, what what was going on. All right, real quick, like uh, you know, ninety nine percent of the time I plug my amp into a surge protector, mm. but we were in a kind of in a hurry, and I saw the um, there was a plug uh, for power outlet right behind my amp, right behind my cabin, and I said, okay, let me just pop it in there, save some time. Oh boy, not thinking anything of it, and then. Few minutes go by, I turn my amp on, my pedals aren't working properly. So I'm pissed off about that, right? So immediately I'm pissed off about the pedals. And then the guy goes, Okay, vocal sound check. So I'm I'm pissed off and I'm like, okay, let me go up to the mic. I put, you know, I go in playing position because I have a guitar in my hands and I do backup vocals. So I turn the guitar up, put my hands on the strings, and my face touches the microphone. And boom, uh, I don't know how many volts, but it was it was a good shock, man. It was a good fucking shock. All I saw was blue light right in front of my face. I got, and the next thing I know, I'm ten feet behind the where I was. Oh, and, and you know, I was pissed that um that I did that because uh, you know you know it, it, it's the venue. Um, the the voltage in the venue was the, some with the ground, and I hear somebody from the back. Oh, he's not plugged into a surge protector. So immediately I did that, and it fixed the problem. But you know, it was crazy, man. Like my heart was racing, Ooh. like really racing, and uh, and then we had to play immediately. Caution- we had to fucking play. Cautionary tale. I'm, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that cautionary tale. 
to our young and, uh, listeners. Shout out to the nurse that was in the crowd that oh, evening that approached me afterwards and uh, 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 said uh, that, uh, you know, she was concerned for my well-being because she saw what happened. And we referred to my Apple Watch to make sure there were no alerts. You know, it's good for that. It tells you if you're having like a heart issue or something like that, and you know, nothing. And, you know, it was good. She's like, me and my friend will take care of you. We're both nurses. I said, okay, uh, that's, that's uh, awesome to know. Thank you. Thank you. Allegedly nurses. Allegedly nurses. Yeah. That's all I'm yeah. gonna say about that. Uh I have I didn't see any training certificates. Um uh or nursing licenses. I don't but but God bless. That's all I gotta say. Uh yeah, so Rick, glad we still got you on the team. That was scary. Yeah, it was a close one, man. I've, that's happened a couple times before in rehearsal studios. It's never really happened to me in alive, and it also it never happened that bad. So I was, you know, a little Little, uh, little, little, little angry for a few seconds there. I apologize for the little. I apologize after the set, if you recall. I apologize for my heatedness. My little Italian uh, hey, temper hey, came hey, out a little hey, bit. Hey, 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 we're all family here. Yeah, we're all family in this garden. Um, Hudson, speaking of family, uh, you, we're gonna get there. I don't want. I don't want to go full tilt into your background, but you, you played a little bit of the old college football in your time. Yeah, for one year until I quit to. Uh, to play music. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into it. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but what I'm getting at, were you ever packed in uh pause with all, with all, with, with all these guys in a van for such a long crazy trip? Uh was did you ever go through any grueling experiences like this in in football uh away games or any situation like that? Uh in high school there were a couple like packed short bus situations, but in college I actually never traveled. Um uh, cause I was, uh, I redshirted the one year that I did play. I was a redshirt freshman, but, uh, the, uh, the actual, at our school, we had a pretty solid like busing system. They were like luxury buses and the guy nice. like who owns the company, like knows the guy on the team. So I don't think they had any crazy, crazy things like that. But in high school, we definitely had some hot ones just crammed into like, <laughs> like on like the JV bus, you know, yeah, when yeah. I was like a freshman, sophomore, like, you know, there was some, but those were fun. They weren't that long. It was like an hour and a half max. So it wasn't crazy. This was definitely the most, uh, intense bus situation it was tight i've ever been in yeah it was a little tight it was a little tight next time next time logistically we're gonna um we're gonna we're gonna reconvene look at things from different angles and see what happens so we can get different angles literally yeah. in the in the in the van um it was nine well, big boys in a van oof. with all the equipment we had they 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 see me they see me and rick walk in they go okay and then they see hudson walk in they go what the fuck's going on Seriously. you know what i'm saying man it's, it's all good though um, we had a good time, but yeah, that's where we've been wreaking war on the road. Big shout out to, uh, Terrell, big shout out to Dave who played bass on a lot of those shows, the away team bass player, big shout out to Tom and Ryan holding it down on deck at home. Are there any other members of wreaking war? There's a lot of us now. Like, I leave anyone yeah, out? We, we've got five different lineups according to our history. Uh, I uh, keep yeah. a record of every show we've played. We've got five lineups in yeah. one year, one and a half years. And you know, uh, we we work with it in and out like st- a, like a like a football team subs yeah. in and out boom. We still love uh, Keith and uh, Sam Sherrick, uh, beautiful men. Fuck yeah, that provided great drumming abilities. It was a beautiful experience at the time. Shout out to those eras. But listen, speaking of the new era in sports, new era, all that stuff. Hudson, uh, like we always do, we've had we've had uh, you know a lot of my bandmates on friends. This is how we do on the Heavy Hole podcast. We always get a little bit into your background, not to pry, but are you from? a particularly musical family, anyone growing up that steered you into heavy metal, hard rock music, and even performing um, uh, drums or performing in general? Um, 
kind kind of for a musical family. So my grandfather played guitar, like he played like old school stuff. He played accordion. He always did stuff like that. Um, my mom is one of five girls. They all played piano. So and my mom and my father both play piano, but um, not, nothing like, you know, nobody's ever tried to do anything for like a career or anything. I think it's just been more of a hobby. Um, then I was, you know, forced to take piano lessons as a kid. And then, uh, you know, I started to get into heavy metal kind of on the side. Metallica was like the first real band. I mean, you see the poster in the background. That was the first real band to kind of do it for me. And then uh, for my ninth birthday, my aunt bought me uh, Metallica's Death Magnetic, which had come out, you know, I got it like a month after my birthday. My birthday's in August. I think that album came out in September. So I got it as like a late ninth birthday present. I put that one on, uh, ran upstairs like during my birthday party and put it on. And like it instantly was just like, fuck yeah, this is what what i want to do so uh you know shortly after that i switched from piano to drums because you know i can't play uh slayer songs on piano and um yeah and then i just started going and then you know as i kept going I, it became more and more clear that it's what i wanted to do uh and i just had to figure out how i was going to do it but I, I there you know there was nothing that excited me as much as you know playing drums to heavy metal songs Huh. Piano is a good uh, gateway instrument. I, yeah. I started on piano as well for many years before I picked up anything. Yeah. Learn yeah. how to, you know, in the in the basic forms, you know how to read things and uh, put songs together. I think a lot easier that way. Yeah, for sure. And that's how I, you know, with a lot of the stuff that I write for for Trog, you know, it's uh, it's all like MIDI stuff, programming, it's all keyboard stuff and everything. So everything is, uh, everything that I write from a melodic standpoint is done on a keyboard. Well, yeah, there's 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 synth parts, and there are there's even piano on um, Cave Dweller, the first uh, yep. release, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it now for people who want to check it out. Um, uh, they can go to tro uh, trogdeathmetal.bandcamp.com. I'm on. I'm, I assume it's available on the other uh, uh, usual streaming platforms. Um, you have the uh, Cave Dweller, uh, November 2019 EP, and you just released a Vomit Reborn last year, um, about a year ago in 2022. Um, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about Trog, uh, you know, how you start the band, who are these guys that you're in the band with that sort of thing from the ground up. Sure. So, um, it originally started me and my friend, Dan, uh, I went to kindergarten with him. We've grown up in the same town in New Jersey, you know, our whole lives we've known each other. Um, we started, I started to get into heavy metal and then I kind of dragged him into it. Um, and, uh, we started jamming together in high school and, you know, always had a good time. And then we, we started trying to record stuff here and there. And meanwhile, off to the side, so my cousin Pete is our vocalist. Um, he's been also, you know, guiding me along in the heavy metal stuff. So, you know, he was kind of like, oh, cool. When I started like Metallica and stuff, he's been into death metal for forever, like super obscure stuff. And so he's dragging me along. I'm dragging Dan along. And then all of a sudden, you know, we start recording stuff here and there and it starts to get more and more metallic. And then uh, Dan was the original engineer for all of that because I didn't have the software or the know-how to record anything. So we started with like a couple mics and tried to figure it out. Then I took an audio production class in college and I kind of fell in love with that. And so I decided to like remix one of the songs uh, that Dan and I had recorded and it ended up sounding pretty decent. So we asked my cousin who has been doing vocals in a bunch of death metal and hardcore bands for, you know, his whole life, uh, would he want to do some vocals on it? So he did some vocals on it, send it, you know, it was kind of like a more of a hardcore leaning song, but uh, it sounded good. And uh, latest, that was like probably May of 2019. And so we set out, uh, that summer, we said, okay, we have proof of concept. Let's try to do something. So the three of us, uh, we started immediately writing the songs for Cave Dweller. And so that was two songs and an intro. And uh, I think it was like seven minutes total of music, but we put that out. And then we spent the better part of like two years after that trying to come up with a follow-up. And we couldn't really identify what our sound was. 
um, and we scrapped a lot of material. I think we we had like five or six songs that we just totally threw out and started rewriting. Uh, and that's when TJ entered the band in uh, 2021. I think that was like September of 2021. And then he instantly was like served as a tiebreaker because Dan and I were always button heads one-on-one, whose word versus whose word. TJ came in and instantly not only added a great influence and everything, but he was able to serve as the number three on the tiebreaker in the in the writing rooms. And so uh, we started writing the songs for, for Vomit and it was a really, really tedious process, but uh, we got through it and uh, my cousin threw some vocals on it and obviously offered creative input along the way. And then uh, that EP did did really, really well for us. Um, and now we're writing with a completely new dynamic. Now that uh, Dan has moved to Ohio, he works for Honda. So he's out there now. And so now we write remote. And so it's a lot of individual writing. And then we come together and do that. But there's been a million different dynamics of writing. And we're just trying to navigate each one. But uh, I think the core the core sound is, is still there, which is nice. Um, but yeah, that's basically the band. Okay, fair enough. And you mentioned the audio recording. So when you begin the band, you didn't have much of an idea about what to do. You take a class where we ended up meeting you before you were playing with Reeking Ore was you had interned with Colin Marston at his studio, um, who the listeners are, most listeners would be familiar with Colin's work, uh, not just recording my band's Reeking Ore and Afterbirth, but, uh, you know, most of the local scene and beyond, obviously Colin plays with Gorguts uh, for many years now, and, and so on and so forth. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're familiar with the name Colin Marston. So just give us a little insight into how you end up with him uh, and what it was like working with him day to day. Were you were you very familiar with his work prior to that? What did you learn about him through working for him? That sort of thing. So, yeah, so I uh, I took that class in college, and I instantly was like, yeah, audio production is what I wanted. I was a physics major in college, and I loved music, and I was like, okay, well, that's physics and music put together. That's great. So that's what I want to do now. Um, there's not really a linear path, though, into the audio world. You kind of just need to work a lot of shit jobs and eat a lot of shit in order to go anywhere. But uh, I got out of college, didn't really know what I was doing. And so I just started interning at studios. And uh, Colin, you know, I was talking to my my cousin Pete, actually. He's like, you should look up Colin Marston. You know, everything in the New York scene kind of tends to go through him. And I looked him up and I didn't really know anything about him at the time. And then I saw his catalog and I was like, oh, wait, I actually know a lot about Colin Marston. I just didn't have the name recognized a million projects a million bands he was mastering like shit that i had been listening to forever you know i obviously was a big fan of gore guts i was like okay this is fucking sick so i just cold emailed him and he responded was like yeah man let's talk on the phone let's see when we can get you in and i said holy shit <laughs> and so uh, a couple weeks later i started uh working with him and it was uh it was an absolute blast and uh, i was probably going in on like a weekly basis uh, this was like in the height of in like the, the height of COVID. So he was really cautious with his studio, which I totally understand as like an independent business. Um, but so be, there was like, you know, there was a lot of extra stuff that we had to do to like sanitize and, and, you know, extra precautions we had to take. But I was probably going like in once a week. Sometimes I would go Saturday and Sunday. So those tolls uh, driving from Jersey to New York every day were not uh, cheap, but um, yeah. And, and, and I was just learning a lot. I got to watch, um, Got to watch him. I got to be there for the recording session of like the Imperial Triumphant record that came out. I was there for the mastering, uh, the mixing and mastering of the Artificial Brain record that came out. I was there for uh, like Bandit. I was there for Chapang. I was there for a whole bunch of other projects that I probably should remember, but don't. Um, and I learned a ton. He's he's a very he's he's a, the way he mixes is so like delicate. It's such a it's such a like magical balance that he finds and his ability to like kind of diagnose problems is. Uh, is is really really insane he can listen to like this giant 
chaos wall of noise kind of thing and be like, oh yeah, I need to do this tiny little tweak with the guitars or, oh, the snare drum is doing this one little thing. I need to put a dynamic EQ on this. And he's just like able to take in all of that. Uh, just watch him do it was with, and he was so open to answering questions. He's like, anything you have a question about ask. And uh, that was really, really awesome. And then he offered, you know, with the vomit stuff, he reviewed my mixes, like didn't pay him. Didn't do, he's just like, yeah, man, I want to check him out. And then he offered feedback and, you know, it was great. So he was super gracious and, uh, and he's been a great resource since then. I asked him about mics. I asked him about techniques. He fucking set me up with this band. Like I, I, I cannot thank him enough for, for what he's done for me. And just out of a fucking cold email is where all this came from. So, uh, it was, it was really, really awesome. Thank you, Colin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hudson, uh, what are your feelings on recording with Colin, which you are going to do in a few months when we embark on our second album recording, which is booked for March and April of next year. It's going to be a full circle moment for sure. Um, being able to be the artist at the place that I used to intern. Yeah. At. Um, I've only ever recorded my own drums. I mean, I've recorded at studios for like non metal projects and stuff, but I've only ever recorded metal drums. Uh, I've recorded myself in my basement for everything I've ever done that has to do with metal. So, uh, this will be cool to have like a whole different approach. And I usually go to like a click and I'm, I'm just kind of engineering myself. So I know with, uh, you know, Colin, it'd probably be like Terrell or, or Ryan or somebody in there and I'll be playing along to them with no click and that'll be new too. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to all of it. It's going to be really exciting. I think. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. I didn't I didn't think of it like that. Um, because what I was going to say is I've only been in there as a client. I would imagine as a student, as an intern in that position, Colin is probably one of the better guys you would want to work for because I I just having known him all these years, he's a very personable guy, very open about his technique and everything he does, very talkative and. Um, and, and also just kind of like a, a kind natured guy, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely not a dick at all. You know, he's, he's, no. he's, he's good people. So I would imagine that as long as he sees that someone's working hard and putting forth the effort that he would do as much as he can to, to make the experience, um, uh, productive for you. Uh, so, yeah. so you get something out of it. What, I mean, what I, I know, like we've had him on and we've talked about the war guitar with the, all the, all the crazy stuff about What's something that you took out of there that kind of blew your mind? You know, just, I don't know if it's an instrument or just something, because he, he gets into some kind of unconventional and unorthodox techniques and instruments and music that he makes himself. I think uh, what blew my mind is, I mean, some of just the, some things that you would just never, ever think to do, because he is, there are, he, being at his studio kind of made me realize that there are like levels to being into music like sitting around between him and like the imperial triumphant dudes like all of them are world-class musicians and metal is like especially with kenny the drummer like metal is not his main thing like he's a latin guy he's uh he does like all sorts of other stuff too like but he also happens to be a sick-ass death metal drummer but just listening to them like talk shop about random music like the perspective was crazy and their willingness to try anything that we recorded like chapang they record it's a grindcore band they record two drum sets in the same room like you who like it's just like by every law you'd think that it's the dumb idea and then it sounds fucking sick um colin had like on on the like one of the kralis records that he was doing he played the synth with his left hand and then a floor tom and a cymbal with the other hand like just like ridiculous shit that you'd never think of and then it sounds amazing and he just he really knows how to like organize chaos and how to direct chaos in a direction that's going to make it musically interesting 
And I think that's where he, uh, he really shines in like that far out, like experimental shit, but not so experimental that it's like head up your ass, like fucking like, just like, Oh, I like this. Cause it sounds bad. Like there's actually something there. Mm-hmm. And he's able to really kind of dig that out and and find what people like about that and then bring it out with the mix. Like he's very well informed as to what people are actually looking for amidst that level of chaos, which I think is really cool. All right, man. Fair enough, dude. And and now just just so we all get a clear your first experience like playing shows and playing live was with Reeking Aura, right? Aside from like bullshit cover bands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what cover bands? What, what style? What kind of cover bands were you with? In college, there was, like, this metal club that played, like, one show per semester, and we just did, like, Pantera and Metallica covers. Like, it was nothing crazy. So that was, what, two or three shows that I did? Uh, So, yeah. And they were, like, to, like, four people in, like, the cafeteria. So, yeah, these, like, the... My first real show ever was at St. Vitus, which kind of was crazy. Yeah. Nice. It was a wild night. That was a a little wild. With horrendous. Mm Mm-hmm. Shout out to the... my favorite bands. Out of Heaven as well. Yeah. The opening band had such a sick lighting setup uh, that we had to cut a song. Didn't we have to cut a song off the set or something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, man. It was, but it was worth it. I mean, that band had a big lighting setup. They had to break down before we played second. So yeah, um, that happens sometimes. Yeah, 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 man. Finding, you know, dude, opening act. You got to make an impression. I get it's it. Sure, you can um, only make the first impression once. <laughs> Gotta make it count. Yeah, Bing bro. Bottom. Yeah. Um. Regardless, uh, it, it'll get better, Hudson. I swear. Um. Uh, all right, man. So we, we kind of caught up, caught the listeners up to date, man. Young Hudson, uh, we appreciate you over here in Reeking Aura. Like I said, ne- um, we're going to give you a little bit more room to stretch out next to our promise. I'm talking to the people at Enterprise and Hertz and Avis just trying to work out the best deal for us over there. I got him in, to- I got him in touch with the guys from um, DXL for the interior. We're trying to do everything, everything real smooth. Uh, but in the meantime... For this episode, I I gave you two albums. I said, Hudson, I'd like to hear a drummer's take on these two albums. I think we probably talked about both of them in the past on the podcast. But you hit me back real quick with four albums that I think you said were pretty influential on you in in terms of you wanting to play extreme metal drums. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are the four that I can point to the most and, and like kind of cite my influence. Yeah. Okay, so before we talk about the same tired old death metal albums that I'm always kicking around, on this podcast, uh, let's get to something fresh. Give the people um, whichever one you want to talk about first. Cool. Um, I guess I'll just go in order that I heard them. Uh, yeah. So the first one would be As the Palace is Burned by Lamb of God. Oh, the, okay. their, their second record. Um, so the first one that, you know, the Burn the Priest record was sick. Um, New American Gospel was sick. But Palaces was the first that they kind of started to get a little more riff oriented as, as opposed to like groove oriented. And, and uh, I really just feel like the songwriting came together. Not that the first, I, I love the first two, but the songwriting really, really came together on that one. And this is the first album where to me, Chris Adler's drum parts like started to just by themselves tell a story. And he was so creative with his kick work and his cymbal work and, and everything was just a very coherent and cohesive, uh, you know, everything was just working together in every way between the guitar riffs and the drums and the vocals, like everything rhythmically and melodically just really meshed with this one. And uh, it's been one of my favorite records ever since I first heard it. Yeah, Rick, did you get a chance to check this one out? I know that I know there was a there was a, a few. We 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 brought this whole episode together behind the scenes very quickly. 
Yeah, of, of Hudson's um, four, I was only able to check out one. Of your two, I was able to check out both, one of which I was already familiar with. But, um, yeah, so, okay. you know, I'll, I'll just chill over here during the Lamb of God talk. Uh, I remember them as Burn the Priest. After that, I don't really – I kind of don't remember much. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I will check that one out. Well, feel free to burn something over there while we're, while we're talking about this album. Um, uh, by the way, I gotta, I'm not, I'm not going to shout them out yet. Uh, but people can look it up. Long Island's first recreational uh, marijuana dispensary, 100% legal. Um, There's wild allegations sweeping the death metal community that I've been looking at the menu and getting ready to perhaps make a purchase. We'll update you on that at another time, how these things are going. I got to talk to my lawyer. What, are you going to betray me? Yeah. You're going to sell me out? (laughs) Don't worry, Disney. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm I'm never going to betray Disney. Um, All right, but enough enough of the the behind-the-scenes patch-hog talk. Uh, um, I did, uh, listen to this album. The listeners know Lamb of God, not necessarily my forte. It's okay. Cause I understand they're very successful without me at the concerts. Um, <laughs> they, you know, come on. It, it, it doesn't matter what I say on here, but respectfully, um, it's just, you know, stylistically, it's not something I throw on a lot. Um, I, I understand it's a, it's a good band and I, I did, maybe this was a good album for me to listen to because I don't know uh, as much of their material and i kind of like felt like i got it a little bit more because especially listening to it from trying to listen to it from like a drummer's perspective um it had something that all these four albums kind of had in common and i could kind of see what you see what you mean um like the drums are it's just a solid hard-hitting um album that he doesn't lay into the groove too much he just keeps it's it's almost like because it's like it's not like I want to say like ACDC almost, but I but I mean that respectfully. I'm not joking because it's just like so uh, straightforward and, and hard hitting and kind of like like that's kind of like an aspect of heavy metal is almost like not being in the pocket, but being up front. Um, and the just the recording itself, everything is, sounds like it's very hard hitting and uh, uh, the, the riffs are there. I got to admit, like, I understand why these guys are where they're at. The guy's vocals are really impressive. He's a really, he's got a great range. I assume that that's something he's been able to sustain through these years and pull off live most of the time. Um, And that would be, like, why they're so well regarded. That Yeah, obviously the drummer, like, it's not necessarily the most technical metal, but it's, it embodies and plays to a lot of, like, metal tropes. And kind of like whole like not even tropes, but like what people want in metal, what goes over very well live in metal. Sounds like they're writing to the live element a lot. Um, like I, I like all I'm trying to say is that I did kind of get it more after listening to this. It's there's like a hate breed thing going on where you could see why huge crowds full of people really moved to this, and you could see why it was able to catch on in a bigger market. It's like you said, I think they were maybe getting away from the groove-oriented stuff, and it, the, the riffs were very metal on this. Um, that's maybe why it was more palatable for me, you know, but I, it, I'll, I'll leave it there, man. I, it was definitely like the, the listeners of this podcast know that that's kind of like a different thing for me to even talk about or, um, or bring up on this podcast, but I will give credit where credit's due, man. That's it's a pretty good album. Which, which album was it in their trajectory? This was their second as Lamb of God. Oh, um, okay. I got to ask, though, which version did you listen to? Because the original version that came out in 03 was originally, it was produced by Devin Townsend and they had a whole bunch of like technical difficulties. The original version sounds like ass. I still like it, but they remixed and remastered the whole thing in 2013 for the 10th year anniversary. And that one sounds fucking incredible. 
Uh, both are great and both have their own, but like I will go out of my way and pick one or the other out of my wall based on how I'm feeling. So I'm, if you listen to it on Spotify or whatever like that, it was probably the remastered version, which sounds incredible. But the uh, the original uh, has like its own character to it too. And it's kind of kind of sounds like shitty, but in a really cool way. I'm surprised that a Devin Townsend produced record would sound shitey. But what, what do you think happened there? Really, well, apparently they recorded it and then there were some like they tried to transfer it to something and it just didn't sound the same when they transferred it onto a this was 2003. Yeah, so 2003, like, yeah. Pro Tools and everything was like early and they were Impressed, really trying to get probably, it. yeah. Yeah, so it was um it was a weird sounding album and uh but they, you know, it the the song still spoke through to people despite the horrible production and um yeah, and, and that's why it's the only album that they've ever remastered and every album after this one has been squeaky clean as far as the production goes almost too too much so as uh ashes of the weight came out after this one sacrament came out after that those were like completely like squeaky clean modern sounding metal records this is the last one that has that kind of organic grit to it in their discography um interesting so i just was i want to know which one you think you listened to at least i know i did listen to the 2013 remaster on, okay. on a youtube um mm-hmm. playlist that came up but uh, that's interesting. It sounds like I listened to like a perfect storm of the Lamb of God album. I would actually enjoy the most, okay. uh, based on what you just said. Um, yeah. because this also what I, I when I listened to the 2013 remaster of this album, it it also struck me as not sounding as sterile and modern and digital in production as I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, um, and again, I realize these guys do very well without my jaded old opinion, you know, so I'm, I, I don't think I think I could say that. Um, but yeah. Uh, and uh, any final comments before moving on? Yeah, uh, just one. You'd said before that, like, you know, it didn't sound like the drumming was the most technical thing or anything in the world. Um, and I, that's kind of something I think I have uh, that I love about pretty much every drummer that I've, I've picked out of these four is like, I wouldn't say that any of them are like, I mean, obviously they're all amazing drummers, but like none of them are the best at one thing or none of them are the most, like none of them are like a, the most amazing drummer in the world or whatever, but they all just come up with you, their own unique ways to fit the song and to make people move. And uh, yes. I think Chris Adler does a really good job of that when it, you know, he, the way he accents the backbeat with like, like with the kick drums, he's got a bunch of really creative symbol work and symbol accents that like just really accent riffs in certain ways. And it's none of it is like the most difficult shit to play, but like all of these guys just know what's right for what's being played and know how to make people get out of their seat and fucking move. And I'll say that I saw, I've seen Lamagon a few times and they are still one of the heaviest shows, even with their new drummer, uh, one of the heaviest shows I've ever seen. The first time I ever saw them, like I literally couldn't move my neck the oh. next day. Like it was just, they just live. It translates so well. It's just like a really like danceable kind of riff that, that I, that I really like without going too far into like the fucking, you know, into the woods with that shit. But no, fair enough. That's kind of the impression I got off of this album. Um, And yeah, it's like, he's, yeah, he's not doing too much doing just enough not playing drums like he has a grudge against another drummer from his local scene. Um, there's some drummers that are just doing a little bit too much. You know, who you, who, yeah. what do you got to prove? You know, who are you trying to impress? You just ride the song. That's, that's what he does. He, you know, does a great job of here. Um, so I'm going to ask Tom, always behind the, scenes, uh, behind the scenes, my loyal production team, Tom Saltman and Justin Wall. Uh, Tom, bring in a little bit of um, Lamb of God as Paradise Burns. Right, Hudson? As the palace is burned. As the palace is burned. I just, I got it wrong for street cred. I actually knew it. (laughs) 
right, and we're back, man. So we're going to go with another one. Hudson, let's do the other one. Let's get it out of the way. No, let's do the other one that, that the listeners might be a little... Um, uh, the, the listeners know I probably don't listen to a lot. It's the one with the whale on it. Yep, that's Gojira. Um, Mario Duplantier is my favorite drummer of all time. Um, and this, to me, is the record that... Is, this is their perfect record, albeit... I think all of their records are about 10 minutes too long. Mm. Um, there is There are no songs on this record that I would cut out. I think they're just a victim of having too many great ideas in one place that wow. it just becomes tiring to listen to. Um, but this record to me is, is a 10 out of 10. And uh, the drumming on this album is just the most creative drumming I've ever heard. Once again, very groove oriented. But this is when they were still actually death metal. They are far from death metal these days. Um, but they still have like some melodic like, scream slash singing stuff in there. Um, but on this record, like he's just the snare drum sounds like it can knock down trees. The drum, like the kick drum is just flying. Uh, the toms sound massive and he is just playing his fucking ass off. And he's, he's doing a lot of fills that, uh, nobody before him had ever thought to approach a drum fill the way that he did or approach a groove the way that he did. And he really, uh, broke down a lot of walls with, uh, with this album. And he, he's continued to do that. He's still my favorite drummer ever, even if the band's music on the last record was not a, uh, not that great. Um, he's still as a, as a musician, my favorite, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, um, we've talked about, I think it was probably the go here album, maybe before this or EP before this, that was a lot more death metal, uh, once before, but other than that, I don't know go here a lot. I, um, Keith Harris, drummer of Afterbirth, is a big go here fan. Mentions them a lot. I know he's a big fan of this drummer as well, uh, and sings this guy's praises. I could see why this is a drummer band. Uh, not bad music. Again, man, this is not something that's like my normal wheelhouse that I throw on every day. But when I do make a, an effort to listen to this and get something out of it, because you brought it up. Uh, it's it's clearly really dynamic, um, uh, incredible music, well thought. I like when you said uh, too many ideas at one time to listen to. That that reminded me of like when I get started at rehearsal with you guys, and I'm just kind of going on and on, man. It's it's just too too much gold at one sitting, man. You know, and you guys got just chime in with the feedback. All right, Will, let's play the song. You know, but <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's it was it's a lot, dude. It's a lot to like. You got I I kind of I it's it maybe I'm out of touch. But it seems to me like Gohira has kind of developed their own fan base similar to a band like Coheed and Cambria or a band like Tool, where their music is so specific and there's so much at play that, like, there's you either kind of get it or you don't. It's almost polarizing, but but everyone can agree that it's, like, good in a way. I don't know. Yeah, no, they've always say Tool, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Saying, yeah. Oh, no, you're good. Um, they've always been their own thing. Like, even their first album and their first, like, couple EPs, like when they were very much just death metal and not really much else, they were still a weird strain of like tribal, like death metal. Like they had their own kind of vibe and then they've kind of blossomed into uh, like with this album, I think is, is there like, that's where they hit the mid, the midpoint of that. And they kind of like, you know, that's where the death metal and their own thing kind of meshed in the greatest balance yeah. and then they kind of kept going and the next couple records are great too albeit a, a very overproduced um and then they became a little more like melodic and atmospheric and then their last record i really was not a fan of it just kind of sounded like sellout metal but mm. uh they are you know they've done shit like they've headlined like bonnaroo but at the same time they've got people who listen to like you'll see people in deicide shirts 
at their shows yeah. you'll see like like mario their drummer is like wearing a morbid angel shirt backstage at bonnaroo you're like so like they definitely mix the crowds and uh they haven't had any mishaps like egregious enough to alienate the death metal fans i think people are just kind of more like oh good for them they're they're super successful now they deserve it not my thing anymore but like cool um but they still very much listen to heavy music and uh, i think everybody still is holding on to their they're heavier shit. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, you know, I still have this, so I'm still a fan and live they're, they're probably the best live band I've ever seen. Um, and so live is like, even if they're playing half a set list of songs that you might not vibe with, like the few that you do are absolutely worth the ticket, uh, alone. Cause they absolutely crush live, especially now that they have a huge budget. Uh, those shows are killer. I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, Rick, you, you want to say something? No, I was just choking. all right man um like i said i'm gonna shout out that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna investigate that we're gonna do a heavy hole investigation um you heard it first on that that alleged dispensary on long island um okay so yeah i i i got a lot out of this album i definitely again i hear similarities these guys are obviously their own individual drummers on these two albums you brought up so far but i also hear something in maybe it's the restraint drummers that know what they're doing but also know when to just kick a straightforward rock groove kind of maybe maybe that's what i'm hearing um also the production from a drummer's perspective is just so crisp and nice and sweet and hard hitting um so with that being said um uh, any final thoughts before i ask tom to take it away with uh it was go hero what was the album by go hero uh, well, it's pronounced Gojira. With, Gojira, I, with a with a J. Here I thought I here I thought I was being progressive, and I, and instead I was doing the wrong thing. Okay, so I, I, yeah. everyone knows it's, that uh, I'm always mispronouncing things on the podcast. Well, yeah, they started as uh, they started as Godzilla, and then they changed it to Gojira, which is the Japanese word for Godzilla. Uh, uh, but no, no final thoughts. That was pretty much it. Okay, I don't I don't know it. I didn't I didn't know that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know any of it, <laughs> and neither did Tom. Tom, bring us in. To um, Gojira, uh, uh, what's what From album? From Mars is, to Sirius. From yeah. Mars to Sirius. Oh man, they're, they're tracking um, uh, from from Mars to Sirius to Spotify. They, they they went for like the last twenty years. All right, enough of my <laughs> enough of the dad jokes. I'm out of here. man all right so listen hudson man you're gonna give me a break on the next one the next one's gonna be one that brings me back i'm gonna say it to when i was your age um <laughs> uh bring in a little bring in the one with uncle sam on it for for uh patriotism hell yeah uh this is dying fetus destroy the opposition um kevin talley is the drummer on this one just <laughs> fucking ripping death metal album the production is perfect yes uh for what it is and uh once again, a very danceable death metal record, uh, but brutal as shit too. Um, and I, I, I love that about this one. Like it gets so extreme and so inaccessible, but at the same time, like I could see people who have never listened to heavy metal before, like, you know, throwing ass to some of these songs. So, uh, yeah, the, the drumming is like ultra precise and, uh, but still not quantized or not overly triggered or anything. It's very real and organic, but 
man, he fucking lays a groove down and, and very, once again, very unique, simple work. And uh, yeah, he just beats the fucking shit out of the drums. And I love it. Kevin Talley. That's somebody I'd like to get on the podcast eventually. Shout to him. Um, wasn't he like allegedly at one of the shows we played? I don't know if Kevin Talley, I, Cole Ross was at the one in uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, South we, Carolina. We shout to Dave Cole Ross. Nice guy. Got to meet him in South Carolina. Um, Kevin, maybe that was something else I'm thinking of. Regardless, Kevin Talley, like you said, very interesting drummer with his own style. This was one of the last Dying Fetus albums that I regard as like classic golden era Dying Fetus. Yeah. Um, I really do love older Dying Fetus. Not that I dislike anything about like the, the 2000s and beyond Dying Fetus. It's just I couldn't keep up with every album with the same fever as I enjoyed uh, this one and Purification Through Violence and um, uh, the, the earlier EPs. But um, that, the opening riff, the opening riff of this album is just like one of the most danceable, infectious death metal grooves ever. It's been in my head for like 20 years Plus, uh, it's always pops on in, in my mental uh, radio, and it's just like a go-to example of how Dying Fetus, I think, took what bands like Internal Bleeding and Pyrexia and Suffocation, um, maybe even your Morpheus Descends and your Disgorged Upstate, the groove-oriented death metal. I think it's exa- like Dying Fetus honed in on that in the late 90s and in 2000 with this album, and like hybridized it and stepped it up a notch you know what i mean like those bands there was groove and death metal before dying fetus but i feel like dying fetus laced up the nikes and really got in there with it you know what i mean in a way that hadn't been done before them i, I totally agree and you know groove is all, i mean look at obituary as, ba- as far back as like the late 80s yeah know, there was always groove something yes. morbid angel had their own kind of groove like yes it was always cannibal corpse too the, the chris barnes records tons of groove in there but mm-hmm. like Dying Fetus really just tightened the screws on that groove and just kind of like, all right, you're going to get up and you're going to fucking throw some people right now. Um, and it was like very obvious when the parts were that you were supposed to move to. Whereas like in, in, in previous, you know, eras, it was more like, oh, this is a cool part. Like, and then it gets back into like, you know, hammer blast or whatever. This one is like, oh no, this is the part where you get up. They have these buildups to these big fucking riffs. Um, and yeah, and this, this one and Killing on Adrenaline, um, both Kevin Talley records, Yes. Um, are yeah. not as much like full and so is Grotesque Impalement, the EP, which is one of my favorite EPs as well. Yeah, yeah. Um were not as much like there were less and less repeating parts. These were more just like successions of sick ass riffs that would just play and then they would call it a song and then they'd start a new one and it would progress and they would just be sick ass riffs and they'd stop. And every once in a while something would repeat or come back, but like it was really just like just a long string of sick ideas that they put into an album, which I really, really love. It's just like a, I call this album, I call it the band, but more so this album, just like a death metal dance party. Like it's just mm. a fun fucking time. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Killing on adrenaline. I forgot before. Um, yeah. Great, great era. Love this whole, like I consider like the first three dying fetus albums, like almost like a trilogy or something. My mental, uh, uh, canon or whatever you want to call it, man. But, um, uh, uh, again, with all this talk of groove and slam, these guys really did. And maybe that's why today, they've up until today and including today, they've enjoyed such a crossover with hardcore. I mean, I just today, what was, I forget what it was, but I saw a, a, a flyer for a fest. It was like all hardcore bands and Dying Fetus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they could just, and that's, but you, you could also just see Dying Fetus touring with a bunch of old school death metal bands because they've been around that long. People know them. Even I remember in the 90s when they were, like, one of the only, like, bands that really owned that kind of new school groove, they still played with the death. Like, death metal people respect them. 
Yeah. Um, and they can just kind of own it on both sides of the scene, man. It's great. They could tour with terror. They could tour with suffocation. It don't matter. Um, Rick, any thoughts on dying fetus? I mean, this, um, you know, I've heard them in the past. I'm, I'm not familiar with this album. I gotta be honest with you, but you know, I, I've heard them here and there and, and you guys really sell me on these three albums that I'm missing. Even the fucking Lamb of God, I'm going to have to listen to <laughs> uh, soon. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I know, I know bits of this band uh, here and there, little sprinklets, little sprinklets. But uh, I, I'll jump in on the next record because uh, that one's up my alley. You know what I mean? I, I feel like um, a man of your taste could appreciate the lyrics. Uh, he's, he's venting a lot of uh, everyday anger and frustration. You know, tell your mother to rape your dog. Yeah, uh, uh, anger, uh, hostility towards the opposition. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you're stuck in traffic. You know, little 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 things <laughs> what bother. Was that? Um, what's that? What band was that that had that lyric? Remember, anger, hostility towards the opposition. It was like an old, remember it was like a hardcore, hardcore fucking band or some shit. Now I, I gotta have to look it up. Sorry. Um, it's, well, this was destroy the opposition we were just talking about by Dying Fetus, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was on a loop about. It. All right, Something. we're gonna we're gonna Google lyric that. All right, AI is gonna figure it out for us. But now, Tom. Uh, let's do Dying Fetus, Destroy the Opposition. I know Tom, Tom's got this queued up for his power lifting. Man, we got one more um, from Hudson. Then we're gonna talk about. Then we're gonna get his. Uh, I'm interested in his take on some things I threw down. Um, uh, this now this next one is this. If I'm not mistaken, this was a Finnish band, right? Uh, no, they are from Poland. Poland, my oh, bad. Yeah. All right, my bad, my bad. I've never left the United States. I, they they won't let me out. <laughs> um, yeah, Polish band. Um, your people's will. Yeah, yeah. I I would love to go back one day. Um, MGLA, right? Uh, Migwa means yeah. fog in Polish. Fair enough. Okay, man. Um, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to leave it up to you cause I'm getting everything wrong right now. <laughs> oh, by the way, that was downset. That lyric was from. Oh, downset. Downset. Okay. That was, what was that the lane? Oh no, that was, was Lane Staley and, uh. I don't remember, uh, to be honest with you. We'll, we'll right. come back to that one later. Go ahead, Hudson. Migwa. Right. This album's awesome. Put a pin in yeah, that. this album is is one, it's probably yeah this is one of my favorites ever. It instantly like hit me when I first heard it. I heard this one around the same time I was listening to Dying Fetus, but really like melodic, uh, atmospheric black metal, but like really kind of almost like progressive song structures too. Um, and uh, probably the most bitter record I've ever listened to. Just bitter and nihilistic and apathetic, and. Uh, like the first lyric that, that opens the whole record is uh, the great truth is there isn't one. And it only gets worse from that conclusion. Like it's just fucking ice cold. And uh, it's, the, the production's pretty interesting because the drums are very quiet in the mix. It's, it's very guitar oriented, um, but still the drummer pokes through and um, dark side is like the stage name of their drummer. Um, and he is just, 
uh, he's the, the 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 amount of taste that he puts into blast beats is is really crazy with the cymbal work and everything. He's his his blast beats are very dynamic. He's never just playing like the standard like Dark Throne like duka 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 duka. He's always accenting something. He's always playing something loud and then playing it quiet. He's always doing something, and it, it's had a huge impact on me. It's just like you know sometimes a standard blast beat is what you need, but like every chance i can i'm trying to kind of emulate what he would do how can i spice this up how can i complement the riff in a way that is interesting and unique like he really like every single song has a million ideas that are gold uh that he that he does and he's just like a very like tasteful feathering around the drum kit with these blast beats and it's it's, it's really really fucking cool yeah man going into it like uh, i'd never heard this record actually i haven't heard a lot about this band i'm really i'm gonna slap my hand like how dare I not know this shit? Because uh, this is, like I said, it's up my alley. It reminded me of uh, Hava Krunu, who I who I always trumpet. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, but, you know, the whole melodic uh, black metal. See, going into it, I was thinking, because we had talked about it being more of a drummer uh, from your perspective as a drummer. But, yeah, those that, that guy jumps off. He jumps out of you. You know what I mean? He's really fucking good, that, that drummer. Uh, would you call him Dark Side? Dark Side is his stage and name. Then I know his full M. name is long. And then, I'm sorry? His, his full name is pretty long. It's like a Polish oh, gotcha. name. I don't know how to pronounce it. I thought you said it was long. I totally uh, gotcha. And then there's also M, who is the uh, guitar player uh, and vocalist, I believe, right? And, uh, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and that's those are the two guys. And then they got like a touring band. But yeah, that album's great. And uh, the drummer is awesome. I'm going to have to check out all their shit. Yeah, their early stuff is very like dark throne-esque but like slightly more progressive um and they just kind of slowly expand into this album and then they've only put out one since this one and it's it's de- it's not as good as this one but it's it's decent but yeah their whole disc they've never put out a bad record yeah cool shit man yeah i gotta admit this this was new to me obviously i've been aware of this band but i never really gave them a, a fair shot so this was another thing where i had to sit and listen to it uh i agree with everything you say about the drumming and, the, and how it's kind of like at first listen, it might, it might just kind of sound like um, well-executed black metal drumming, but there's a lot of personality. Uh, there's a lot of like a t- like tasteful um, uh, accents, I guess you could say, uh, uh, and, and cymbal work. Uh, it's it's, but there's also times where he just knows to be straightforward with it. So, like again, there's kind of like a common thread with some of this uh, through all these four albums you've recommended where I could see that there's times where the guys just know to, to ride out the riff and be metal, and then there's other times where they really know how to like let let it shine what they got. Um, so there's something about something to be said, I think, for restraint, um, having, having, having all the goods but knowing when to use them. Um, and yeah, again, like Rick said, something I was not familiar with, but I definitely want to give uh, another shot now. Um, Migla from, uh, from Poland, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so so um, any any final thoughts before we 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 go into this one with Tom? Um, yeah, just <laughs> there's gonna be somebody who's gonna be like, oh, but they're uh, they're all racist. They are, uh, yeah, their politics are very questionable. They've had some questionable huh. side projects, but uh, this band is not at its core a uh, an NS band, but they are signed to like Miko Aspa's label and all that. So disclaimer: Miko uh, Aspa, but- yeah, controversial figure in the underground community. Um. Yeah. Not necessarily someone I'm looking to have the conversation with at this yeah. at this juncture. Uh. All right. Well. Fair enough, man. Thank you for the disclaimer. Um. Music. I did. I read about. I'm trying to think what the book was. I think I, it was one of the black metal books I picked up over the pandemic, man. Well, I did read a little bit about this band, but fair and fair play. Um. So there's that, man. 
so moving on, we'll ask Tom to play a little bit of this. Um, Migla, and what was the album? Exercises in Futility. Exercises in Futility. man um and uh all right so now moving on now this whole thing um i got us down this whole wormhole by starting off and asking for your take on two albums i have uh always enjoyed and i want because you the whole thing was um as a drummer one of them being the temple of knowledge cataclysm part three by cataclysm with a k from canada um mm-hmm. Second full-length album, last release with Sylvain Howd on vocals. Uh, I'm just going to shut up now because I, I want to know um, both your guys' takes, if possible. I don't know, if Rick, if you got a chance with this. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I heard this album as a, as a what, 19-year-old little, uh, 19-year-old boy. I wasn't little at 19, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say I was a little boy. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I had Mr. Gate on CD, and I mean, I had heard this like once or twice. And I guess my feeble mind at the time just couldn't wrap my mind around what they were doing at that time. It was, you know, 1990. This was what, 95 or 96. But yeah, um, it was pretty advanced. What that, that Northern Hyperblast, right? Um, yeah. For the, for the stuff at the time. And uh, going back to Mystical Gate within the last two years, I really liked it. It's hard to, the shit isn't on the streaming services. They're older stuff. They're good stuff, right? Isn't You can't find it. So YouTube it is right now. I got I to gotta find a CD. But this album is uh, really chaotic. The, the drums, I, as from not a drummer, also jumped out of me, man. Really good shit. Um, and, uh, you know, the vocals are questionable at times. I got to be honest there, you know, um, definitely has a unique style, this dude. And, uh, you know, I, I heard about him. He had departed from the band around this time. This record came out and, you know, I looked him up and there's nothing really after this of, on him. So I guess he just kind of dropped off the scene, out of the scene. And uh, just an interesting sound he brought. But, you know, it's a really chaotic sounding album and fucking really good. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I'm not going to give their newest stuff uh, too much. Um, too much of a listen to based on what I've heard though, but this stuff is really sick. I don't know. Fair I'm enough. Done. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um uh, uh like I said, I'm gonna bite my tongue. Hudson. Uh impressions. Yeah, I thought the drumming just from a drumming standpoint first, I thought the drumming was super precise. Uh very, very hard hitting, uh very, you know, technical, the hyper blasting that Rick was mentioning. Uh, really, really cool. I thought the guitar riffs were cool. I thought the guitars were could have been a lot louder in the mix. I thought the mix was very much dominated by vocals and drums. Uh, and the drums sounded great. The vocals, I really did not get along with uh, the entire record. It, it felt like a very long record because of the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of felt like like Lord Worm mixed with like Impetigo, but in like a weird way. And I maybe I need to just spend more time with it. But like I was kind of 
waiting for it to end just for the vocals alone. And the instrumentals were amazing and the drumming and the riffs were great. I wish the guitars were louder and the vocals were quieter. Um, I think towards the re- and towards the second, the last third of the record, I, I noticed his vocals kind of got more traditional. Maybe, yeah. I'm, maybe I'm not, you know, but I noticed that as the record went on towards the end, it was more traditional kind of not a growl, but like of a screamish kind of thing. But uh, yeah, definitely different than what he was doing for the, yeah, I was taken aback because in the, uh, behind the, behind the scenes, you were like interesting vocals. And I was like, oh shit, what's going to happen? And then boom, I was like, yep, those are yeah. interesting vocals, man. And I was familiar with Sorcery, their their first record, uh, before I listened to this. I'd never heard this one before. And so I actually went back and listened to Sorcery again because I hadn't heard it in a long time just to kind of do my homework. And that's a fucking amazing record. I have no qualms with that one at all. Um, I think the songwriting's a little better on that one. And the vocals are obviously, I, I, in my at least in my opinion, miles ahead of this one. He was, I guess he was getting a little more experimental on this one. But uh, same vocalist, though, I believe, right? Same guy? I believe so, yeah. First yeah. three. I, I was a big fan of Sorcery. So at, at the very least, I was, I was happy that this one got brought up so I could go back and listen to that one. Uh, but this one, yeah, I, I thought of the drumming, from a strictly drumming standpoint, I thought it was amazing, though. I got to say. Yeah, the vocals are polarized. Um, Sylvain Howd, revered. I mean, you just look online, man. Um, the reputation only grows for these these early Cataclysm albums and EPs that had <clears throat> Sylvain Howd on vocals. It's a shame that they're not on <clears throat> streaming. <clears throat> pardon me, streaming platforms. Um, the I mean, you can look up. There is interview footage with him from fairly recently from a Cataclysm DVD that came out, where he reflects on there. the The man was mentally ill. He says himself he went nuts. Um, I heard rumors that he was at one point uh, homeless and this and that. Uh, you, you know, the guy had issues. I remember reading an old Zine interview back in the day in the '90s with one of the other members where they claimed that he. Um, he, you know, he, he, it was just him and, and the engineer in the studio and he had everyone else leave the building while he recorded these vocals and who knows, man, it's, it's a lot of credit. If you read the lyrics themselves, um, I mean, it's death metal. People write whatever they want, but, uh, the guy definitely had some demons, um, you know, at play. And I think that's the thing is, you know, like you said, uh, the, the performances were always a little unhinged. But sorcery, um, and they had a, they had um, uh, an EP, uh, Mystical Gate of Reincarnation, I think it was. The vocals were still unhinged, but no, but this was definitely this one. It almost sounded like they just they like there were some takes that they just kind of kept because they because they, they they didn't want to redo them or something. Like there's some really unhinged wild takes on this album. But I think why it's so polarizing. Some people like me do love it is because. Um, it's so feral and animalistic. It's Whoa, like death metal suck. vocals just yeah. taken all the way. You mentioned Lord Worm. It's almost like taking one step further than Lord Worm. Yeah. Um, and also the thing about this guy is that there is live. You can you can look up live footage of him performing with the band in the '90s, and it's he backs up all of this live. This is not just some multi-layered studio magic. There's a live album, Northern Hyperblast Live, that captures his performance. Again, just like this album, I do I do agree with your complaint about the guitars being very low and the whole album is very drum and vocal focused in terms of the production. The live album is even worse for that. The live album is all drums and vocals. But for that reason, as a vocalist, it's really impressive because this guy, um, and from what you see on the videos, he, was, he, was a, he wasn't a man of large stature, wasn't necessarily an athletic man. 
Um, but he just was a beast of a vocalist. The breath control, the sounds, and the range that this guy got out of him, and just the the unhinged energy of his performance. Um, whether it's something that is like pleasing to your ears and your sense of rhythm, or or whether you you just appreciate this kind of legend, uh, this anomalous performance in death metal history, I think is is um uh, uh where people stand on it. So I got to say, like, also growing up in the '90s, I was around when Cataclysm came out. I was listening to death metal, and when they came, when they put out Victims of This Fallen World, which was the follow up album to this with Mauricio, who was the original bass player, now doing vocals. And that's the lineup, more or less, that is still known to this day. That's when they started playing around with more groove metal, more commercial metal, and lost a lot of the death and grind. And what's interesting is the cover of Victims of This Fallen World is a homeless person on the street. Um, So it's like there's this lore, and like for years before this Cataclysm DVD came out several years ago, no one even knew anything about Sylvain Howd. Where is he? What happened? People just thought he was this guy who went nuts and lost it and was living in the wilderness somewhere. So there's a bit of a legend and a bit of a um, larger-than-life reputation there. But also just listening to this album, it fuses really melodic, dynamic songwriting and unhinged grindcore in, in, a, in a very interesting way. Like, it could be for fans of, like, Anal Cunt and, uh, uh, you know... Extreme noise, extreme noise terror and whatever, but also for fans of like Swedish death metal, you know, like Carcass and shit like that. I could, yeah, yeah. It's just it's an it's an anomaly. And and you know, mention the drum, Nick Miller, the drummer. Um, he was also in Anal Blast, which was the death metal band that famously Joey Jordanson of Slipknot was in for a period of time. Um, Nick Miller was uh in this band for I think one of the EPs and for this album and another guy who just was an amazing drummer that if you knew his style and you knew death metal you could recognize in a minute just hearing the songs never did much after this I see him pop up on YouTube and social media every once in a while I would love to have a discussion with him on the podcast um but Nick Miller one of the all-time greats in death metal drumming that really didn't leave a huge discography behind <laughs> So. Yeah, man, get him on uh, just for the Don Decker stories alone. Shout yeah. out to Don Decker, rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, so guys, any final thoughts before we go into this a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty well covered uh, in the chaos and the unhingedness. And uh, I'm gonna listen to it again. I'm actually looking for it on CD, but it's hard to find. And you know, you get to pay like twenty five bucks. It looks like I well for original copy. I did find on Discogs. Um, there you go. What two, is that? Double disc. Two thousand. This is a very handsome little double disc package here. It's got um, uh, sorcery and the mystical gate of reincarnation, yeah. and uh, in addition to this album, we're talking about the Temple of Knowledge. So that's their first two albums and one yeah. of their their first EPs um, on here. Really worth it, man. Um, I'm gonna get that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, this, this, if you could find 2016 Nuclear Blast Records, put this out. Uh, for the fans of this, the Sylvain Howd era. So I would say this is really worth it, man. And just for anybody who only knows Cataclysm as this kind of modern stadium metal band that obviously, again, does not is not losing out with me not buying their albums or going to the concerts. They're doing very well right now. Um, and, you know, I would give them a chance in the future. I just listened to Lamb of God today, too, so who knows? Uh, God, <laughs> God bless. I salute. That's what I say to them. But check out this older era of Cataclysm that is more unhinged grindcore influenced, too. Really, um, for the vocalists and the drummers, definitely something to at least sit through once um, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't turn out to be one of your favorites. 
All right, fair enough. So, Tom, bring us in with a little bit of uh, Cataclysm, the Temple of Knowledge, once more, because I know we've done it before. This part. Guys, one last album I wanted to bring up. I've brought it up before. The listeners know where I'm going. One of my all-time favorites, um, Afterlife, Surreality, uh, 1992, on the quickly defunct uh, Grindcore Records uh, label. Really, um, I think there's a band that, like, at first glance, some people at first listen might just seem like a generic, so to speak, uh, um, 90s death metal band. But there is something to the drumming on this that um, uh, is really interesting. I, I, I go back to this album a lot. Like It's got this kind of like otherworldly, doomy, somewhat obituary-esque vibe, fans of Viogression maybe. But um, Dave Ross, the drummer, I've researched some of his other projects, and I've talked about him on one of our Patreon episodes. I, I don't want to get too much into it now. Um, maybe, Hudson, if you want to give me your impression, um, and then Rick will go to you. I don't know if you had a chance. Uh, yeah, I thought... Um, I had never heard this one before, and uh, this is a very, like... This is one of those, like, gems that, you know, it was a one-album band in the from fucking Indiana that yeah. put out, you know, they put this record out and then never did anything again. And this is just one of those, like, gem finds that I had never heard before, and I love discovering them. Uh the uh it, the drumming was very similar to me the whole vibe really was very similar like kind of like deteriorate kind of like brutality like that kind of like halfway between technical and brutal but like on a very early on scale so like not leaning too far into tech death or into brutal death like it was, everything was still kind of this amorphous blend in the beginning which was kind of cool um one note i made was that the vocal style uh very much resembles what you do will i don't know if you if that's uh conscious but the i noticed a lot of similarities between you and the vocalist of this band and and i don't mean that in a bad way towards either party i mean in a very good way um but it's definitely a cool place to pull influence from i don't know if that's intentional but uh definitely sounded similar to me Uh, and then i noticed towards the end of the record there were kind of like almost some like atheist vibes going on uh in kind of the more progressive you know technical side of things but the drumming very real, very organic. Not you know, it, it, there are timing discrepancies here and there, but never anything like only timing discrepancies that add to the experience and don't detract. And um, yeah, very hard hitting. Um, and there were some really good drum parts written there. Some really really cool riffs. Uh, I really enjoyed the record overall. Yeah, I did too. Uh, you mentioned atheist at the end there. Like I kind of that popped in my mind too. Sadists also a lot of those late eighties, early nineties, like death thrash kind of you know kind of sick fucking interminglings uh, bands type bands kind of popped to mind. Uh, this was yeah, this was a good album. Um, I wish I could have given it a hundred percent of my concentration. Concentration, I, I let it play through all the way, but work was chaotic today it was kind of crazy but uh from what i heard when i was able to really sit and listen i really liked it and that's another uh, good recommendation there will and yeah that also the guitar playing and the drumming uh, stood out to me on this one 
So, yeah, yeah, dude. It's I, I I like that you brought up atheist because it's yeah, it's not like full on prog fusion, but it, uh, older atheist I could see. Like there's something you you said sadist too. Sadist was a little technical but not overtly prog. Yeah. There's something to this that's like that. It's brutal. It's death metal. There's groove. I appreciate the compliment by the way about the vocals. And what's funny is I've owned this album. I'm not trying to flex, but I have uh, the original pressing of this album. I got it used at none of the above records in probably 97 or 98 when I was in high school. So it's always made a big impression. And a few years ago, I really went back and listened to it. And I said, this drumming is a little unique. I don't hear Phil. Like, the, the way the guy places Phil's sometimes just stands out to me. There's little things he does that are unconventional. But regardless, I never listened to the vocals on this and said, I want to sound like this. Like, I've never looked at this as a vocal influence. And now I have to go back uh, and really pay attention to the vocals from a whole new perspective, man. Because obviously nice. I've been been listening to the thing for 25 years. It could have definitely influenced me some way. Um, uh, yeah, a little subconscious influence going on, you know? Yeah, 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 happens. yeah. That's why we do this. We share from all perspectives here. Um, fair enough. And the listeners, I, I did a Patreon episode. Um, I believe it was the Patreon Indiana death metal episode where I broke down not only this album, but many other EPs and albums featuring members of this band. Because uh, this was a one-time thing, this album, but it wasn't necessarily the only thing for the musicians on it including Dave Ross, one of my favorite undercredited kind of like low-key death metal drummers who just did this album and a few other projects. So check out that Patreon episode if you want. It's an expensive CD, man. I just looked that up. That's a valuable... What is it? Hit me, hit me. Well, I'm looking, you know, I just looked for the first release, the 1993 version, and all I see is Euro, so it's European, and uh, 70 Euros, 72 Euros, 60 Euros. So yeah. you're, you're talking about $75. And then you got to pay shipping from Europe mm-hmm. after yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, a good one there. So I like that album. Now I'm into CDs again and shit. I, I think I missed the boat on a lot of these records. Tell tell your man Francois to holler at me. I'll put in a, I'll put in a shipping container. We'll get it over there nice and cheap, all right? Look, yeah. get, it, get this shit done. Look out of the way. All right. Uh, yeah, Tom, bring us in with um, Afterlife Surreality from 1992. I have the original on CD. Just Just being above the table with the flexing. Guys, I really appreciate you. You both brought a little bit to the table. Everybody ate. It's a beautiful experience. Thank you so much. Um, We learned a little bit about our new drummer, Hudson Barth. Latest addition to the crew. Um, If people want to check your stats, Hudson, you just released a video on your IG um, with your your mosh pit uh, um, uh, season highlights from this tour. Yes. Yeah. 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 What what where can people look at that? Uh B H Barth on Instagram. B A R T H. Um yeah. and yeah, that's where you can find me. And then my band Trog is Trog Death Metal uh dot bandcamp dot com. And that's everything. And then you know where to find Reeking Aura, obviously. Wall of Death MVP. Yeah, we plug Reeking Aura relentlessly on this show. <laughs> it's this this whole podcast 
quote-unquote podcasts that I do. It's just shameless promoting of my bands and my friends' bands. That's all. Um, no, that's I wouldn't. If that if that was true, I would have had a lot, a lot more of my friends on here. We're trying to get everyone on here. There's only so much time in the day. I've been doing a lot of touring with the bands. I got a lot of personal life stuff going on. Wang wang. You don't want to hear about it. Um, uh, so I can only do so many interviews, man. But shout out to everybody out there. If we talked in person and I said I got to get you on the show, shoot me an email, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. If you got my number, shoot me a text. You know, just just say, hey, Will, how you been? Do you need a hug? Is everything okay? We'll get you on there. We'll do the interview, all right? Um, I'm only human. I have a great team here at Heavy Hole Podcast, but we can't keep track of everything all the time. We're all doing bands and stuff. So uh, with that being said, heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. The voicemail number is in the description wherever you're listening to this. Leave us a voicemail. We might play it. We might respond to it. We might not. I mean, at this point, I don't really, I don't care what happens anymore. I'm, I'm losing it. I'm over the edge. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Man on the edge. Yeah, don't. Yeah, living on the edge in the words like, of the wise Stephen Tyler. <laughs> yeah, right. You remember that, that video? That fucking band. God damn it, Aerosmith. <laughs> really? Oh, I, Aerosmith. I like their early stuff. Aerosmith and the Chili Peppers are my one, two most hated. <laughs> Who's the drummer, of Aerosmith? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Because I, I, because that. That I could off. see that <laughs> I guess that drummer kind of fits in with the drums we talked about on your albums, Hudson. Just locked in. Joey Kramer. Locked in. Just like fucking Kevin Talley. Um Oh man. Jesus. All right. I'm sorry, Rick. I didn't mean to touch the arrow No, nerve, it's all good, man. man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's a, a touch a nerve. You know what I'm Dude, saying? Yeah, living on the edge, man. This guy watched Living on the Edge. He, he clicked on TV one day. He thought he was Terminator 2. He saw Edward yeah. Furlong, and he, then he found out it was an Aerosmith video. Um, what what was it? He like crashed a car at the end, and I don't I don't know what happened. But they they stole God Edward, damn. They stole a car. What, yeah, you remember I, when Alicia Silverstone was in all the videos? That was a, I I feel like if I brought up that era of Aerosmith, you would have had a much softer reaction. No, that's the one I hate. Like I hate all that. <laughs> like you know, shit. Yo, t- so so bad. <laughs> I like to play Toys in the Attic every once in a while. When I'm on tour, man, the old stuff from the '70s and early '80s, maybe mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little Dreamweaver. Yeah. You ever hear yeah. Crow- Crowbar did a mean version of Dreamweaver? Mm. I'll check that out because it's you know it's probably good. Yeah, Crowbar did a mean version of Dreamweaver. Was that even was Dreamweaver? No, Dreamweaver wasn't Aerosmith. No, that's not Aerosmith. Aerosmith that's, uh, was Dream On. All right, we're losing the boomers. We're losing the boomers. Steer us back in, Hudson. Hudson Barth of Trog. Thank you so much, sir, uh, for your services, not only on this tour and in the mosh pit, but in the band Trog, which we encourage everyone to check out, just like we encourage them to check out the albums you brought up this evening. Uh, I listen to Lamb of God and and Gojira. You can, too. You don't have to be an elitist out there. Cool, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, Hudson, thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. This was fun. A hundred percent, man. Well, now now you're looped in. It's part of the... You didn't read the fine print and Reeking Aura, but uh, you got to do this once every few months. It's... It's part oh, of the no. deal. Yeah. Oh, good. Hell yeah. Welcome. Just kidding. October 27th at the Meat Locker, by the way. Oh, that's right. October 27th. Uh, we're going to be at the Meat Locker with some friends. We're not going to be talking and joking around. We're going to be actually kicking it and doing real music. We got a few uh, funny surprises for you there. We're going to get real funny. It's going to be around Halloween season. Um, and yeah, besides that, um, uh, any anything you guys want to announce? Is there anything coming up with Trog or uh, Rick with any of your projects? No, no. We're going to get silly at the meat locker. Silly. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to bring all my glasses and my shoes so I have them down there at the meat locker, October 27th, (laughs) Reeking Aura. Spooky Uh, fest. Spooky fest. Spooky fest. It's going to be real spooky, tough guy. 
Um, uh, the Afterbirth album is going to be out by then. Check out for that new Afterbirth album coming out October. Uh, I believe it's October 20th, later on in October. Check us out on social media, Willow Tip Records on social media. The second Sick. single, the first single is out now. Check out the second single dropping soon, soon, soon. Um, Reeking Aura hard at work on that second album. Now that we're done with that tour that we were just on, uh, you guys, we're actually, I think we could say we're going to be playing some new material October 27th at the Meat Lock. Yeah, hopefully, uh, well, definitely two new songs we're going to dust off. Not dust off. We're going to debut. It's going to be beautiful. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's packed out and crazy in that place. But we are going to dust off one old one. That's funny enough uh, that you said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's going to be a nice new set list. And nobody smokes dust. We we had a little misunderstanding. Um, they got these, they got these beautiful things. They're called moon rocks that they got the weed mm. dispenser allegedly. So I hear the mm. kids are telling me. Um, but then it's it's, it's it's all yeah. It's just weed and keef and stuff. It's nothing. It's not angel dust, right? Um, but regardless, I just wanted to clear that up for the for the boomers, who I'm dangerously close to in age, by the way. So um, I think that about wraps it up. We got the Patreon. We got the voicemail. We got to check out the bands. Uh, by the time you hear this, I want you guys to all check out Exsanguinated coming up next Friday. Um, uh, uh, last Friday was the last Friday in August, the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth. Hold on a second, guys. Oh no, no, we got we got this 25th. far. Twenty fifth. Thank you. We got this far. I can't have time edit anything. The twenty fifth of August, uh, Exsanguinated is going to be over there at the old um, Massapequa uh, uh, VFW. Um, wow. Having having yeah, having shows lately. I'm very glad I got to check that place out, man. Um, uh, supporting Spirit Adrift and many other great bands. So please come check that out. Uh, come early. Uh, exsanguinated at the VFW in uh, Massapequa um, the 25th of August. And then September 1st, Afterbirth is going to be supporting Dysrhythmia at St. Vitus. And that's going to that's gonna do it. Between that and that Meat Locker gig the 27th with us with Reeking War, that's going to do it for me, guys. I'm out of the game. That's it, man. I got a, I got a thing going on where I'm going to be portraying, um, you know, you know, Newman from Seinfeld, I'm, I, like, I'm going to be portraying him, but the Jurassic Park character in yeah. a Jurassic Park Broadway. Wayne they, Knight. Yeah, it's, yeah, Wayne Knight. I got the, I, I got the Hawaiian shirt. I got the little, Shit. yeah, there's a Broadway play based on Jurassic Park. It's called Jurassic uh, Spark. Um, It's all, we rollerblade. It's, it's a I, musical, right? It's I a have whole go, full-blown musical, right? I have to lose 100 pounds and learn how to rollerblade, Rick. I can't be singing for these fucking death metal bands, okay? I'm sorry, can everybody. Rap? Can you rap too in this in this musical? That'd be awesome. I had to I had to rap battle somebody else to get the part. I had to rap battle Horatio <laughs> Sands to get the part. You guys don't know what I do outside of death metal. It's fucking blood sport. Listen, uh, but while I'm out here in the entertainment industry, I just want to remind everybody: check out Heavy Hole Podcast on all your social medias. Check out Trog. Check out Grace Guys Fall. And check out every check us all out, but not too much, like the. Like the government or something. Um, thank you very much, man. Uh, this is great. I'm glad we got you two guys together. It's been a live one. It has. Have a good thank one. You.